Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. The hymn, In the Very Midst of Life, when we read the accounts of Jesus raising the dead, there is an acknowledgement there that he has come ultimately to deal with death. He heals illnesses, diseases, he casts out demons, and he raises the dead. But death is really his ultimate target. To defeat death, he must pay for sin and defeat death in his own death. And then rise from the dead himself. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the 24th Sunday after Trinity, and in the Gospel reading, Jesus will raise the dead. Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome. Good to be with you, Todd. What is the focus of this coming Sunday? The 24th Sunday after Trinity really focuses upon the reality and horrors of death, together with a certain victory over death that we have in Christ and the hope of the resurrection of the body to eternal life. So you've got, you look squarely in the face, the horrors of death and the corruption of sin that brought death into the world. And then there is proclaimed in the comforting miracles of Jesus in the gospel for the day, the healing of the woman with the flow of blood and the raising of the little girl of the ruler of the synagogue to life again. You see the hope of the resurrection of the body to eternal life with Christ. And this is the focus. And we're coming to the end of the church year and future hope, resurrection of the body everlasting life, eternal communion with God is an intense focus for this Sunday. The hymn of the day for this Sunday is In the Very Midst of Life. It is a hymn of Martin Luther, but it's based upon, in part, the Good Friday reproaches, uh, which include texts from Jeremiah. And then a version of this lament also appears at the beginning of the committal service as the body of the deceased Christian is being carried to the graveside. 
It's called in Latin the Media Vita in Morte Sumus. It's a 14th century text. And it reads, in the midst of life, we are in death. From whom can we seek help? From you alone, O Lord, who by our sins are justly angered. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and merciful Savior, deliver us not into the bitterness of eternal death. So you can see death and sin are held closely together in that particular prayer. It goes on, Lord, you know the secrets of our hearts. Shut not your ears to the prayers, but spare us, O Lord. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and merciful Savior, deliver us not into the bitterness of eternal death. O worthy and eternal judge, do not let the pains of death turn us away from you at our last hour. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and merciful Savior, Deliver us not into the bitterness of eternal death. So what Luther does is he bases this hymn setting loosely upon those words, and you can hear also the Good Friday reproaches. And Luther's text goes, In the very midst of life, snares of death surround us. And that's the reality that we all face as Christians. We're at a party, we're celebrating a baptism, and we hear of the death of a loved one. Who shall help us in the strife, lest the foe confound us? Thou only, Lord, thou only, we mourn that we have greatly erred, that our sins thy wrath have stirred. Holy and righteous God, holy and mighty God, holy and all-merciful Savior, eternal Lord God, save us lest we perish in the bitter pangs of death. Have mercy, O Lord. So that's really a hymnic version of that committal service, the Media Vita in Morte Sumus text. Stanza 2, in the midst of death, death's dark veil, powers of hell o'ertake us. Who will help us when they assail? Who secure will make us? Thou only, Lord, thou only. Thy heart is moved with tenderness, pities us in our distress. Holy and righteous God, holy and mighty God, holy and all-merciful Savior, eternal Lord God, save us from the terror of the fiery pit of hell. Have mercy, O Lord. And what that second stanza identifies is how Satan is assaulting us throughout our lives and at the time of our death, reminding us of our sins, of the judgment that we deserve, of the hell, of the separation from God. And that's why we cry out to the Lord Jesus, who alone is the victor over sin and death and has taken those accusations of the evil one upon himself so that we can be set free from them and have the certainty and the comfort of forgiveness and then resurrection to eternal life at the time of our death. And the final stanza of that hymn of Luther's, In the midst of utter woe, when our sins oppress us, where shall we for refuge go, where for grace to bless us? To thee, Lord Jesus, only. Thy precious blood was shed to win full atonement for our sin. Holy and righteous God, holy and mighty God. So this hymn of the day really does capture the theological substance of the gospel for the day and what those miracles of Jesus in the cleansing of the woman with the flow of blood and the raising of the ruler of the synagogue's daughter to life again, what those miracles really testify to, the atonement for sin that Jesus brought about in his death upon the cross, which results in resurrection and a restoration of life through the forgiveness of our sins. 
What is the collect for this coming Sunday? Stir up, O Lord, the wills of your faithful people, that they, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works, may by you be plenteously rewarded. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord's faithful people, identified in the Collect, are those baptized Christians who steadfastly walk by faith in Christ throughout their earthly pilgrimage. So it's a faithfulness of faith. I mean, faith is at the center of the word faithful. And to be faithful is to live the life of contrition and repentance and to cling to the Lord Jesus throughout one's earthly sojourn. So throughout our earthly pilgrimage, we perform good works in service to our neighbor and as a testimony of Christ's love for us. So this collect talks about good works, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works. Notice, good works are called fruit. They're the fruit of what the Lord has worked in us by his word and spirit. So our good works do not save us. Our good works are the fruits of God's grace in Christ that we have received. So we pray for our wills to be governed by the Lord so that we bring forth these works for our neighbor's benefit. So this collect really is about, we're not dead yet. We haven't been raised from the dead yet. We're on our earthly pilgrimage. So what is our earthly pilgrimage involved in? Well, faithfulness to the Lord and then living a life of good works of love toward our neighbor. This idea of being plenteously rewarded, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works and then plenteously rewarded. It's not that God is rewarding us with salvation because of our good works. That's not what plenteously rewarded is all about. To be plenteously rewarded is to enjoy the blessing of the Lord in seeing our good works of love being received by others throughout our earthly pilgrimage and how those good works of love benefit them and in so many cases can be to those who receive those good works a testimony of God's love for them in Christ and so they become enfleshments and concrete expressions of the gospel that we believe as they receive those good works and so I would argue that the plenteously rewarded phrase has to do with the enjoyment that we receive as we see and observe others receiving our works of compassion and mercy and love for them. It's the same thing with our Lord. He delights as all heaven does when we receive his forgiveness and new life in repentant faith. The intro, it is sections of Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So anyone who is familiar with the uh, Matins service will recognize that this Psalm 95 is the Venite that is sung at the beginning of Matins. 
And this Sunday then provides a great opportunity to actually sing the Venite during the divine service as an entrance hymn in place of the intro for the day because it actually is the text from Psalm 95 that serves as the intro for the day. And I think congregations that have every Sunday communion, every service, sometimes they long for the praying of matins. And so you can bring these canticles from matins, including at other times, especially the end of the church or the Te Deum Laudamus, which speaks and calls forth the entire company of martyrs and saints and apostles and prophets to praise the Lord. And then here on this 24th Sunday, one can bring in the Venite and sing that as the entrance hymn. What does it proclaim? The Venite from Psalm 95, Christ is our God. Christ is our shepherd. We are his sheep. He is the rock of our salvation. He is our Lord and a great king above all gods. So you think of the other psalm, if God is for us, you know, who could be against us? What St. Paul says, and the Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? You know, if you've got Christ as your shepherd and your God and you are his sheep and his people, you have nothing to fear. All things belong to him. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains. And he is the fountain and source of salvation. So Psalm 95 is a call to worship, a call to receive Christ and to cling to him. And it it confesses the reality of who he is and what he has done and what we've received in that absolution that has just taken place prior to the praying of the intro. It's a call to receive Christ and to cling to him as did the woman with the flow of blood and as the little girl of the ruler of the synagogue did when Jesus took her by the hand and raised her up. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. We'll have the Alleluia verse and that gospel reading next. How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Real Reformation Radio, you're listening to Issues Etc. He's the most Lutheran man in the world. I'm not always in Pensacola, Florida, but when I am, I attend Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Congregation of Emmanuel Lutheran Church of Pensacola, Florida, invites you to join us for divine services on Sundays at 8 or 10.30, Sunday school and Bible class at 9.15. Whether you're in Pensacola to enjoy the white sandy beaches of the Emerald Coast or for military training, we invite you to join us. Jesus is here. Word, water, bread and wine for you. Emmanuel, God with us. Stay Lutheran, my friends. 
At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Dear Lord, I have thy word. I am in the station that pleases thee. This much I know. Thou seest my inadequacies and know no help except in thee. Help thou therefore, because thou hast commanded that we should ask, seek, and knock, and hast said that when we do, we shall surely receive, find, and have what we want. It's a prayer from the pen of Martin Luther. He is recorded there in the Issues Etc., a book of the month, for November, Faith That Shines in the Culture by regular guest Alfonso Espinosa. Find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for Faith That Shines in the Culture, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. The Alleluia verse is Psalm 36, verse 9. Alleluia. With you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Alleluia. Very simply, the verse proclaims the essence of today's gospel. Christ is the fountain of life. He is the light of the world. And in his light, the light of his forgiveness, we receive life. So the words in your light do we see light, are reminiscent of the prologue to John's gospel. You know, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him. Apart from him, the eternal Word of the Father, nothing was made that was made. And in him was life, and that light was the light of mankind. So this Psalm 36, 9 is reminiscent of those words in John's prologue that we confess about Jesus himself. In him is life, and his life is the light of all mankind and illuminates the darkness of our sinful lives and carries with it the promise of salvation and resurrection. And that's an appropriate verse then leading into this holy gospel from Matthew 9. You know, with you is the fountain of life, in your light do we see light, and it is illustrated beautifully in the gospel for the day. That gospel is Matthew nine eighteen through 26. Behold, a ruler came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. 
And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. This is the gospel of the Lord. I like to observe how the various events in the Gospels are arranged and which events are included and where. Here in Matthew chapter 9, it's 18 through 26, this healing of the woman with the flow of blood and this raising of the little girl. At the beginning of Matthew 9 is the healing of the paralytic. And so in Matthew 9, as we have throughout the Gospels, the maladies under which people suffer all illustrate something about the problem of sin. In the case of the paralytic, he's paralyzed. I mean, that's what sin does to us. It paralyzes us. It puts us in bondage. And his biggest problem was he needed the Lord's forgiveness. Sin was his biggest problem. The same is true here in the woman with the flow of blood or the little girl who has died. Sin is the real problem. It is the cause. In the healing of the paralytic, he says, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. And then that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, Rise up and walk. And it's that authoritative word of forgiveness and of mercy and grace and of comfort for us in our earthly pilgrimage, people suffering from all kinds of maladies and facing death itself. That is why the people pressed about Jesus. And and the scene in this gospel is marvelous, isn't it? I mean, you've got Jesus is thronged with people. The ruler of the synagogue comes to him. My daughter has just died, but come lay your hand on her and she will live. You can hear in him how distraught he is over the death of his daughter on the one hand, but on the other hand, his confidence in Jesus as the victor over death on the other. And he's being thronged by people. And it's in this context that the woman with the flow of blood who is ceremonially unclean and was not to touch a man lest he become unclean, dares to reach out and touch the hem of his garment. So you've got faith here in the ruler of the synagogue that dares to approach Jesus at the death of his daughter and to cry out to him. And you have faith in Jesus in the woman with the flow of blood who dares to touch the hem of his garment, a radical act on her part, frankly. So these twin miracles of Jesus place him in the center of God's work of salvation to rescue us from the problem of sin that leads to death. The problem of sin that leads to death. If there were no sin, there would be no death. Sin is the cause of death. Sin is rebellion against God, unbelief. And out of this problem of sin, it is the total corruption of our nature that flows from sin, uncleanness, mental illness, physical disease, the inability to love God, to trust God, to please God, or to rescue ourselves from sin's destructive force. So there is a total helplessness. You see this in the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years. Luke's gospel talks about how none of the physicians could do a thing to help her. So she was in a desperate place. Death means separation. 
It means separation from God, separation from communion with God and our loved ones, separation of the soul from the body, and at the time of death, the body begins to decay. Death means isolation. It means loneliness. So Jesus steps into the midst of our sinful world, our sinful lives, with all of its corruption. Some of the sin in our life we have done, and some of the sin in our life has been done to us. And we're swimming around in this life of sin. In the very midst of life, snares of death surround us. In the midst of utter woe, when our sins oppress us, where shall we for refuge go? So Jesus steps into our sinful lives, into our sinful world with all of its corruption. And he steps into our sin and death and arrests it. Stop. It is no more. And how exactly does he do it? Here's where the circumstances and events of the miracles that Jesus perform have so many theological truths to teach us. It's not just the miracle itself, but what the miracle teaches. So the circumstances and events of these two miracles have great theological significance. First, the malady of the 12-year flow of blood from this woman renders her unclean. And I like to use that language, the flow of blood, as opposed to discharge, because it's a little bit more literal to the text. And remember how the Alleluia verse for the day spoke of Jesus, with you is the fountain of life, that all life flowed from him. And so here we have the reverse of that, if you will, the flow of blood from this woman. It renders her, according to the Old Testament ceremonial law, unclean. Leviticus tells us that life is in the blood. So the significance of this flow of blood means that her life is quite literally being poured out unto death, and she will die. She will be lifeless as she bleeds out eventually. So the man who touches an unclean woman, or who is touched by an unclean woman, she's having her menstrual flow, it never stops, so she's perpetually unclean, he is rendered ceremonially unclean. And this is precisely the point. It is precisely what Jesus came to do. In his incarnation, his enfleshment, he does not merely take on our flesh and blood, becoming true man, which he does. But he also does so to assume all of the uncleanness that came into our flesh as a result of Adam's fall and all that sin has brought into our lives. We remember St. Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this is precisely the point. Jesus allows himself to be touched by our sinful infirmity, by our uncleanness, and he willingly steps into it. So the theological significance of this is that life springs forth from him who bore our sin into the death of the cross suffering the consequences of our rebellion, and now life springs forth out of death. Or as the Apostle Paul said, death is swallowed up by death. Our death caused by sin is swallowed up by Christ's death, which made atonement for sin. Because in his death he took our sin upon himself, 
and made payment by his holy precious blood, as the Catechism says, his innocent suffering and death. So when Jesus tells the woman, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well, it is pure, comforting absolution. She is to be of good cheer, to take heart. Her sins are forgiven. Her uncleanness is cleansed. Her faith has made her well because Jesus is the object of her faith. He calls her daughter, a wonderful allusion to the status we are given in holy baptism, and that Jesus is her spiritual father. Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. It's a statement of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, and not by her works. It should also be noted that since Christ's grace and forgiveness flowed out from him to her through his earthly garment, that we also see in this miracle of the cleansing of the woman with the flow of blood an allusion to the earthly elements of the sacraments and how by God's word Christ's grace and forgiveness comes to us through water in baptism and the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. You know, we could ask the question, how could his earthly garment do such things? Paraphrasing the catechism, certainly not the earthly garment of Jesus, but the word of God in and with that garment did this wonderful cleansing for her. So this Sunday's gospel, it begins with the announcement of the death of the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum, and then concludes with the raising of this daughter to life again with the cleansing of the woman with the flow of blood sandwiched between the announcement of death, and the announcement of new life. So that's a wonderful juxtaposition. The miracle of healing the woman with the flow of blood really underscores that the cause of resurrection is Jesus' forgiveness, that Jesus won for us by the shedding of his blood in our place. So she's got the flow of blood, but his blood flows for her cleansing and for ours, and the result is resurrection to new life. So this helps us understand Jesus' words to the mourners. Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. He has come to arrest death, drive it away by his forgiving grace. And of course, they laugh at him, the laughter of scorn and of unbelief. Go away, the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Such a statement is contrary to reason. She was dead. Her lifeless body lay in front of them all. But to Jesus, who has conquered death, she is not dead. She's not separated from God. She's not separated from her loved ones. She is asleep, asleep in Jesus, who has conquered sin and death, and who will, on the last day when the trumpet sounds, raise us all from the dead. She's not separated from him, for he has saved her from death by his death. So he takes her by the hand, and the little girl arose. I think it's also important to note in this gospel for the 24th Sunday after Trinity how prominent touch is in these twin miracles. The unclean woman with the flow of blood touches Jesus. Her sins are forgiven. Her flow of blood is dried up. It is a resurrection of the body. Jesus touches the little girl, taking her by the hand, and she arises out of death. It is a resurrection of the body. Now, when I talk like this, immediately the question 
is raised, how can this all happen prior to Jesus' own death and resurrection? And the answer is very simply this. Every miracle of salvation, every miracle of Jesus, is a foretaste of what his death and resurrection accomplished. So Jesus' atonement for sin and his victory over the grave reaches both forward and backward in time. The salvation of the patriarchs of old is the salvation of Christ. They are saved by Jesus Christ and him crucified and risen eternally from the grave. So the historical event of Jesus' death and resurrection transcends time. It happened in time, but it transcends time. It is greater than time. It is the eternal event. So in Jesus' miracle, we see the result of his saving work and our future. We see that in all of his miracles. The forgiveness of sins leads to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting with our Lord and our loved ones who have gone on before us in Christ. Together we look forward in hope to the resurrection of the body. So I think it's really this great juxtaposition thematically on this Sunday. In that hymn of the day, in the very midst of life, snares of death surround us, is then countered by Christ has arrested sin and death and raised us to eternal life. Now that hymn by Herman Stumpfli, it's hymn 552 in LSB, O Christ who shared our mortal life, it is a wonderful hymn that speaks of the hope of the resurrection and captures so many of these themes we've been talking about. Stanza 1 reads, O Christ who shared our mortal life and ended death's long reign, who healed the sick and raised the dead and bore our grief and pain, we know our years on earth are few, that death is always near. Come now to us, O Lord of life, bring hope that conquers fear. And then stanza 5 and 6 speak specifically about this account of the raising of the ruler of the synagogue's daughter. A ruler proud but bent by grief knelt down before your feet. My precious daughters gripped by death, come now and death defeat. A multitude had gathered round to hear the truth you taught, but leaving them you turned to help a father sore distraught. You pressed through crowds to reach the child whose limbs with death grew cold. She is not dead, she only sleeps, the weeping folk you told. And then you took her hand and called. My child, I bid you rise. She rose, and all stood round you, Lord, with awed and wondering eyes. Death's power holds us still in thrall and bears us toward the tomb. Death's darkening cloud hangs like a pall that threatens earth with doom. But you have broken death's embrace and torn away its sting. Restore to life our mortal race. Raise us, O risen King. So I'd highly commend that hymn. It paints just such a beautiful picture and it captures the kind of emotion and the phenomenon that we go through at the time of the death of loved one, as well as the blessed hope of the resurrection to eternal life with Christ. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. The Old Testament reading for the 24th Sunday after Trinity is next.
Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. The Christian religion is not like a buffet line, a modern smorgasbord of beliefs offering a wide range of tempting choices. Rather, it is the good deposit handed down to us in the scriptures through the history of the church that we might believe and confess who Jesus Christ is. To learn more about Pick and Choose Religion, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. To subscribe, visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Old Theology, New Technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Bender, the Old Testament reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 51, verses 9 through 16. And this Old Testament reading speaks of that hope. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces? A reference to Egypt. Who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? A reference to the Red Sea crossing. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. A reference to redemption, the redemption of the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, how they were redeemed from Babylonian captivity, how we are redeemed by the holy precious blood of Christ, by his innocent suffering and death. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. A reference to the hope of the resurrection, the glorious choirs of heaven singing the eternal joyous song of salvation. I, I am he who comforts you. A reference to how the Lord's forgiveness sustains us on our earthly pilgrimage in the preaching of the gospel, in catechesis, in the absolution, in the promises of our baptism, in the promise of the Lord's Supper. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and you fear continually all the day, because of the wrath of the oppressor, when he sets himself to destroy. There is no need to fear. Christ has conquered death. 
And where is the wrath of the oppressor? These rhetorical questions all speak of how death has been defied by Christ's victory. He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. Again, a reference to the hope of the resurrection, in which we lack nothing. I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name, and I have put my words in your mouth. Confessing Christ's victory is in our mouth. It's in our mouth in preaching. It is in our mouth as we confess the victory over death in the grave, in the face of death itself. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I interrupted episodically throughout the reading of the Old Testament with some references to Egypt and to the Red Sea crossing and to our redemption and the hope of the resurrection and how forgiveness and the word of the gospel sustains us throughout our earthly pilgrimage and how we confess Christ's victory in the face of death and the grave. And I did so because it's just such a powerful text here that we need to apply every one of these phrases and rhetorical questions that are raised to the life that we live on our earthly pilgrimage as baptized children of God. And when the Old Testament reading concludes with laying foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, saying to the church, you are my people, can there be any greater comfort than to belong to Christ, the eternal Son of God, through whom we are redeemed from sin, death, and the power of the devil, and by whom we have the very sure and certain promise of victory over death and the grave. There can be no greater comfort than to be called his people. Well, that leads then into the gradual. It's Psalm 116, verse 8 and verse 1. You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Now, each one of us can pray that gradual as Christians who believe in Christ. You have delivered my soul from death. But put the words of the gradual in the mouth of the healed woman with the flow of blood. Put the words of the gradual in the ruler of the synagogue whose daughter was just raised up. And in the mouth of the little girl herself, you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. As Christians, we believe in Jesus. We follow Jesus. The woman with the flow of blood trusted in Jesus. The ruler of the synagogue trusted Jesus. And the little girl opened her eyes and she was holding Jesus' hand. And that meant everything. The psalm for the week is Psalm 126, and verse 1 serves as the antiphon. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit.
So this psalm, you know, we recognize Psalm 126 as a psalm that talks about the return of the exiles. And it grapples with the reality that in this life and on our earthly pilgrimage, there are times of great sorrow, great grief, times of great mourning. But as the children of Israel were restored to the promised land, then their mouth was filled with laughter and with shouts of joy. The same is true for us. When we pass through this earthly pilgrimage, there are times of tears and bitter weeping and mourning, but then our sorrow is turned to joy. So those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So this is a psalm of hope for us in our earthly pilgrimage, isn't it? When the Lord restored the fortunes of his people by bringing them into the promised land or by returning the exiles to the land of promise, it was almost too good to be true. That is the sentiment of the Christian. As we long for the life to come in the resurrection, as we pray this psalm that articulates our hope of the resurrection of the body to everlasting life, we cannot come close to imagining what it will be like to be freed from the corruption of sin with all of its uncleanness and to be restored to the life immortal and incorruptible with Christ. The epistle for this coming Sunday, Colossians 1, beginning at verse 9, is next as we look forward to Sunday morning. How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Lutheran Talk the cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. The light of God's Word in a world of darkness. You're listening to Issues Etc. In this wonderful month of thankfulness, we thought it would be a great time to say a huge thank you to Pastor Todd Wilkin, Jeff, and their team. For almost 10 years, they have opened their broadcasts to Ad Crucem and allowed us to share our products with their listeners. Thank you to Issues Etc. And thank you, dear listeners, for all your support and patronage over these years. God bless you from Ad Crucem. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. With the oldest deaconess program of the LCMS, Concordia University Chicago has fully certified young women for the deaconess vocation for more than 40 years. I'm Deaconess Kristen Wasilak, Program Director for Deaconess Studies. 
Help us identify the next generation of servants to care for souls, engage our communities in mercy, and teach God's Word. Learn more about Concordia Chicago's Deaconess Program today at cuchicago.edu. cuchicago.edu. Welcome back. We are looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Peter, the epistle for this coming Sunday, Colossians 1, beginning at verse 9. St. Paul writes to the Colossian Christians, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Now, What the Apostle Paul is doing in this epistle and its placement on the 24th Sunday after Trinity, I think is wonderful wisdom on the part of the church here. And in Paul's case, he is wanting to comfort, console, and prepare them to live faithfully throughout their earthly pilgrimage. And so, The Apostle Paul's teaching how we live and how we are to live throughout our earthly pilgrimage as we look forward to the consummation of our salvation in the resurrection of our bodies from the dead and in the life eternal that awaits us. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you. Every pastor should pray for his members, the entire congregation, and each of his members individually, that they remain steadfast in the faith, that they're guarded and protected against the assaults of the evil one, against running shipwreck to their faith, asking that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So remember the collect for the day talked about how the wills of your faithful people, that they may be plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works and plenteously rewarded. I think some of the language of that collect and that theology comes out in the epistle for this Sunday, so that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And then what characterizes the life of a Christian is to give thanks to the Father at all times. No matter what we're going through, no matter our sorrows, no matter our grief, why? Because he's qualified us to share with Christ in the inheritance with all of the saints in the light of Christ. That God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That God the Father has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. I just love how this epistle from Colossians ends with the climax that in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, it reminds us of the second article of the Creed and its explanation in the Catechism, but it really takes us back to the gospel for the day, how the forgiveness of sins is the source of cleansing for the woman with the flow of blood and the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. His blood is the fountain of resurrection and new life since sin is the cause of death. So lovely climax here in the epistle for the day, and it helps to kind of, I think, tie together both earthly pilgrimage with the blessed hope of the resurrection to eternal life. How would you summarize the propers for this coming Sunday in terms of law and gospel? The law must address the devastating reality of what sin has brought into our lives. And I think here the preacher can make use from his congregation of those points of sorrow, those points of mourning that individuals and the whole congregation may have gone through in the year past, identifying them, meeting them head on. And the tears are real and we should shed those tears. Death is not a friend, it is an enemy. So the devastating reality of what sin has brought into our lives is important to acknowledge and draw attention to, and how we are totally incapable of saving ourselves from it. Secondly, the law must address the reality of death from which we cannot free ourselves. Not a single one of us can rescue a loved one from death. All we can do is commend that loved one to God. At a funeral service, we bring in the body of a loved one, and we do so to celebrate the Lord's salvation and his promise of resurrection, because only he can free us from the reality of death. The unique gospel for the day, then, must proclaim the cleansing from all sin that is ours in the blood of Christ. He's redeemed me with his holy, precious blood, with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve, worship him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. The unique gospel for the day must proclaim, secondly, that the death of Christ has swallowed up death forever. Death has no claim on you. Death has no rights over you. Death is conquered. And when you fall asleep in death, it is like falling asleep because you will still be forever with the Lord to await the resurrection. And then I would say, number three, the unique gospel for the day must proclaim the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the body to eternal communion with God who loves us who has given himself for us and who will wipe away all tears from our eyes so that there will be no more sorrow or suffering or pain and we shall ever be with the Lord. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you. Thank you, Todd. 
Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part today by Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Find out about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss Shining Christ's Light in Family Callings with Dr. Alfonso Espinosa, author of our book of the month, Faith That Shines in the Culture. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. What makes Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m. Call 618-539-5664.